0: Well, it is a good evening to you and how you be William Haynes tier you are there on Monday night at seven o'clock or whenever you are listening to this a reminder that the opinions expressed on Tomahawk talk may not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee you are either listening to this live on Monday night at 89.7 FM or you're listening to Tomahawk talk as a podcast as early as Saturday night. Uh, the podcast feed, Tomahawk Talk, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast, and a reminder to follow us on social media at V89 Sports on Twitter, on Instagram. Lots of fun content and updates uh, for the program, and we have a, a great slate of news, uh, a really interesting breaking story. And uh, uh, William Haynes, your host here. We'll start with the introductions. We have returning for another week, Jackson Bakage I see you are sporting a bit of a rooster mustache, if I must say the new uh, Top Gun that comes out uh, or came out recently. But uh, Jackson Bakage, how are you doing, buddy?
1: Well, I'm doing good. I'm I'm glad the beard is uh, gone for a little bit. My face can breathe a little bit more free now. Uh, But it is so hot outside that it doesn't really help all that much. But we do what we can when we can. So I'm, I'm Glad the beard is gone. I'm glad to be on the show, and I uh, hope y'all are all doing good as well.
0: We know the, the Lake County summers can be quite punishing. Uh, did getting rid of the beard, did it affect your golf score at all? Did the mustache uh, take a couple strokes off?
1: Well, you know, indirectly, yes. I, I kind of stayed up la- late last night shaving it, and then I was very tired this morning, uh, and I slept in. And I did not warm up before my round today, so I'm going to blame it on that. So indirectly, yes, the mustache uh, probably added—I'd say maybe 20 strokes. No, I'm just kidding. Added maybe uh, four or five strokes to, to the golf game today. Indirectly.
0: And, and just think, if you were in the the new LIV the Live Golf Tour, even if you were finished last place, you would have been walking away with 120k. That's a lot of big ones. Um, and we'll get, get into the live golf story a little early on or a little later on, uh, in the show. Next up we have returning for a second consecutive week, Amanda Golson. And, uh, we know you were uh, a bat girl for the FSU baseball team. Uh, before we like dive deep into the story, how was that kind of being on the inside of it and finding that news and all the people that, you know, you were working with finding out the news as well.
2: I mean, well, it's great to be back. First of all, um, You know, you would think that we get all this inside information and we are the ones that know these breaking stories before they're released to the public, which is not the case. I wish it was. That'd be great. Um, I was actually the one to break the news to the rest of our team um, because my dad had sent me a link on Twitter and that's when I found out, kind of when the general public found out. Um, So we don't really get special treatment which I I wish it'd be great. I don't know if I could keep my mouth shut actually. Um, yeah, it was not surprising. I will get into this later. Not super surprised, kind of just timing wise was the most surprising thing for me personally. I know people have been waiting for this, but I'll I'll save that. <laughs>
0: Maybe a little silver lining for you, Amanda. I know you did kind of an exclusive interview with Mike Martin Jr. this year. you think maybe you'll get a crack at uh, getting the next coach for an interview maybe next season?
2: I mean, if he keeps the Batgirls around, I might have to. (laughs) You know, Meet was such a big supporter. He he loved, you know, everything that we did for the program. Um, So I'm hoping that whoever FSU hires next you know, is has as open arms as meat did for our program and um, allows us to continue what we do. And if so, I'd love to speak with whoever it is.
0: <laughs> yeah, Florida State baseball is tradition rich, like pretty much every sport we have here. And the, the Batgirls are definitely a part of that. But rounding out the panel, we have for the first time in a few weeks, our producer of the show, Jack Oliaro. I know you called into a show hosted by Brett Rutherford in the studio uh, a little while ago, but it's great to have you back uh, with the regular crew, Jack, how have you been?
3: I uh, have not been good. Um, I've had been, I battled COVID uh, two weeks ago. Uh, it's still spreading through my family, unfortunately. So uh, the house is divided currently among those who don't have COVID and those who do have COVID. But uh, other than that, you know, I've just been um, keeping up with all the sports going on. We're about to enter the dead zone. So I'm trying to expand my. Uh, Try to expand my watch. Been watching Le Mans today, Le Mans race, and uh, excited to go up to Canada next weekend for the uh, Canadian Grand Prix.
0: Well, that is really interesting. I know at the beginning of summer you went down to Miami for some exhibition stuff, and that you'll be going north to the border for another race. So we definitely will, uh, maybe much to my chagrin, but maybe give you some airtime to, to put some F1 uh, stuff out there. But uh, without further ado, not to bury the lead, this is definitely not the dead zone of sports news as the main news of the week Florida State baseball head coach Mike Martin Jr., the man they call meat, is out and will not continue his post. As head coach, we have a little bit of a different setup this week. Got a bit of a production piece for a few minutes that will run, tell the story. I've got a monologue after, and we can dive into uh, one of the biggest Florida State stories of the year in in quite some time. So without further ado, Jack, the producer, hit it. Mike
1: Martin, who's been associated with this baseball
4: program for – of his life. Gastonia North Carolina. The 3-2. Slap shot deep right field. It could be. It is. A home run. Seminoles win. Seminoles win. Seminoles win in Tallahassee. Well it's a tough way to lose a game for the Miami Hurricanes. But it can happen to a better kid. the son of the head coach here in dramatic fashion with his sixth home run of the year. And Mike Martin laced it over the 30 foot high fence in right field for the game winning homer.
5: I am very, very happy to be here today to introduce the next head baseball coach at Florida State University, Mike Martin Jr. Congratulations, Coach. Thank you. I haven't won a ball game. I haven't lost one either. Uh, first, and uh, to state the obvious, it's an honor to stand before you as the next head coach here at Florida State. This place is special. It's the only place I've ever wanted to be. And I can promise you, no staff will work harder or smarter to keep this program moving forward,
0: moving upward as well. We can and we will. As we get you set for the Oxford Regional, Florida State, a three-seed And they will be in the same regional as Ole Miss, who is the number 12 national seed, uh, two seed Southern Miss. Of course, the Knowles is the three. And then Southeast Missouri is the four seed.
4: Graham takes the breaking ball to the right side. Off the glove of Green, his second air in his many games. Gonzalez has scored. Elko will trudge home. Not bad for one good ACL. And Ole Miss has a 2-0 lead. Ground ball. DeSedas throws it high and he threw it away. Ole Miss has tied the game and now they've taken the lead. Third air of the game for Florida State. Broadway to Baldor. Game over. Ole Miss, 2-0 in the regional. They had to throw down to finish off the strikeout.
5: Um had some some things not go our way uh, some self-inflicted wounds but um it was difficult saying goodbye to the seniors and um, it was very emotional but i just thanked them every single one of them all they've been through it's um it's been a tough year especially for young adults and
4: wanted to ask, you know, with a program as stable as Florida State and with the consistency that you guys have, what's next isn't necessarily a question that gets thrown out a lot, but as you enter the third year, where do you want to see the program grow the most?
5: I mean, I want to see it be the best. I want to see it to be the absolute best in the country and, you know, with uh, what we're trying to do and what we're trying to get through, of course we want the guys successful in life, but we want to be the best program as well. And, um, you know, the way they go about their business daily is, is crucial to that. And, um, you know, getting to Omaha and winning the whole thing, that's the goal, it's always been the goal and uh, that'll never change. And if it does, you know, this program will go down quick.
4: And, um, you know, I still don't think we've seen this team's best baseball and hopefully we get it at some point, but, um, you know, just really have to play so much more consistent than, than you ever did in regular season. and. That's the reason you're a three seed again. Um, Just, you can never find consistency over the last two years. And um, at some point that just becomes, that's something that has to be fixed at some point. I don't think a three seed three years in a row and uh, you know, one of the last four teams to make it in. It's just, that's just not good enough here at Florida State. Chopped to third, partly to short, backhanded carry on and he lost it. Never left the infield, and another run scores for Auburn. Nobody out. Carlson chops it the right side. It goes through. Foster is scored. DeShera initially stopped, and now it gets past Pereira. They're going to keep him moving. Carlson stopped at second, unaware, and a missed opportunity for Pierce, who stopped at third. Three errors. Cody Moore back to action. Hot shot up the middle. Pass to drawn in infield. Pierce has scored. Carlson being waved home. And he will cross the plate. Nine to one, Tigers. You
5: know, Jonah gave us everything he had, just like he always does. Um, it's a tight neck group. Battled, didn't get it done. It's so never easy to end your season. Love each and every one of the members, of our club. They genuinely cared about each other, and the ones that are graduating will sign. We're gonna miss them. Well, it is the standard, um, and it always will be the standard at Florida State. And um, you know, our job is to recruit our tails off, you know, evaluate what we, the way we do things, make changes if necessary, and. Um, there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to look at. Uh,
2: Mike Martin Jr. is out as Florida State's head baseball coach. He was hired in 2019 and he coached the Seminoles for just three seasons, one of which was shortened due to COVID-19. But in a statement issued by the university this afternoon, athletic director Michael Alford saying the decision came down to whether the program was performing up to the high standards they have set. And he did not believe that they were. Alford went on to say that we, quote, deeply appreciate all Mike has done for the program as head coach, as an assistant coach, and as a Seminole student athlete. His passion for the university and the baseball program is unequaled. I am sure I speak for all Seminole fans when I say we wish him and his family nothing but the best.
0: 28 years spent in Tallahassee, three as a player, 22 as an assistant coach for his dad, three years as head coach running the show. But now, for the first time since 1975, there will not be a Mike Martin on the coaching staff. Florida State announced Friday that they would not be retaining Mike Martin Jr. as head coach after back-to-back disappointing seasons following a pandemic season in his first year. With 31 wins in 2021 and 34 this season, juniors snapped a 42-consecutive-year run of 40-plus win seasons. As we know, this town is none too pleased when a run like that is brought to an end. In his only two full seasons, the Knowles went on the road for a low-seeded regional both times and went one and two, not making it out of the opening weekend. He also never finished higher than third in the ACC Atlantic standings. Neither university president Richard McCullough nor athletic director Michael Alford were in their respective posts when the Mike Martin Jr. hire was made. The potential affinity held by John Thrasher and David Coburn to keep FSU baseball in the Martin family is not the case for the new men in charge. Which begs the question, which direction will they turn to for their new skipper? Will it be Lynn Jarrett of a successful Notre Dame program, former player and assistant coach at FSU. Jarrett played for Martin senior played with Martin junior and worked under them both as an assistant in 2003. With a cumulative 80 and 29 mark in South Bend, he will not be an easy acquisition. But with the brass at FSU prefer to keep the next hire out of the family? So, guys, this is huge news, and, and I think really changed the tide of where this program is going to be, potentially for better or for worse. And um, I'll kind of throw it out there. Were you shocked? Were you surprised? Were you hoping this would happen? What was? Uh, how did you feel about this when the news broke?
1: Well, honestly, I was shocked um because i knew he was going to be in the hot seat um but usually when people are in the hot seat they're in the hot seat for a year <laughs> you know they they get that kind of year grace period of everybody kind of understanding hey this is a do or die season for you um but i understand the decision um and i think it's honestly the right decision um when we look at recruiting uh when we look at the talent they've been able to retain um, over the next few years or over these past few years, uh, it has not been good, just for lack of better words, it hasn't been good. It's been subpar. Um, They've lost a lot of recruits, almost half of their recruits um, that they've brought to Tallahassee over the last few years, almost half of them have all left or have not seen the field. Um, And then we look at, you know, okay, if he's on the hot seat starting now, but we don't project him to do better than he did next year, and it's not likely he's going to do better than what we did this year, than what Florida State did this year, then what is the purpose of keeping him on staff? So uh, I understand the decision, but at the same time, I'm surprised by it.
2: Yeah, I was also, like kind of like I mentioned earlier, not I was shocked, um, but I wasn't surprised. You know, I feel like kind of just – reading through twitter going through general consensus throughout the year seemed like majority of florida state baseball fans were not fans of me and his and his coaching and you know like um jackson said he's you know been in the hot seat and i thought you know i was you know i understood where they were coming from but i thought he would get at least one more year like you were saying um I I was not expecting it to be this early, this soon, but I think this just proves that Michael Alford has high expectations for the program for this university. And, you know, he's willing to make tough, very tough decisions to put this program back to where it used to be. Um, and, you know, I, like I said, I can't imagine that was a very easy decision for him, especially, you know, the legacy of just the Martin family as a whole as William mentioned earlier, you know, he's been here so long. Um, you know, he meet bleeds, garnet in gold. you know, he wanted this team to succeed more than anyone. It just, you know, doesn't always work out like you wish. Um, but uh, I, every and every inter- like coming from being a bad girl, every interaction I had with him was positive. He was a great guy. He was so supportive of our program. Um, so I just, you know, you hate to see him go, but you know, if this is the step that needs to be taken to bring this program back up to where it used to be, then, you know, let's see what happens. I'm, I'm curious to see who, um, we, how, who Floresay picks up and, um, the steps that are going to be taken after that.
0: We'll round out the panel with you, Jack. How do, how do you feel about that? Do you think, I mean, for a guy that was with, with the program for so many years do you think they kind of had a short leash
3: with them or, or what was your read on it depends on how you look at it um i think it was a little bit too short of a leash uh leash sorry kind of along the lines of what jackson was saying i was expecting more of a year in the hot seat where we'd see how we'd handle um you know the obvious pressure um giving that in 2020 he had a COVID season and unlike the other uh, other unlike other sports COVID season meant your season was cut short uh when they when he first started it. Twelve and five in 2020, but the ability to not have a single non-conference road win during the regular season is something that reared its ugly head to me, and that's a stat that always stuck out. It was over, it was 0 and six over two years. You, you're probably thinking that's not that bad. That's not, you know, it's just those non-conference games, but just little games like that. They couldn't get it done in the midweek unless they were at home, and that was something that just little things like that just, you know, stuck out as something that you wouldn't see. In the senior team very well or very much um this is also the team that failed to make the acc semis in both years and had identical uh perform performances in the postseason where you'd win your opener you'd lose your winner's game um and then you'd lose to that same team you beat in the opener um and the way they did it this year just with auburn um Every pitcher that FSU put in gave up at least a run, and five of those seven pitchers gave up at least three runs. Um, you put up seven errors in those three games in the postseason. Not too many coaches would be um, really acclaimed for a performance like that, no matter how you did in the regular season. So it's a shame because they had the runs coming, but there was just not enough defense there to um, support them. And, um, this is a team that we have been talking about throughout the season. They've been bad on the road. They were six and 14 throughout the season. Uh, that's not even including um, the losses they had at the ACC or in the postseason. This team just couldn't get them on the road when the year they got it, they were really well at home. And when you can't host a regional because you couldn't do that well on the road, then things like that can happen. And it's going to be sad to see them go and see the uh, Mike Martin you know, legacy sort of fade. But it's time for change. It seems in most coaching, uh, women's basketball, soccer, seems like everybody's having a coaching change. Everybody who's been here for a while is sort of changing. So it's time of um, newness, and and here's just another change. And, uh, of course, sad to see him go, but looking forward to the future. And you kind of hinted
1: at what I'm, I'm about to opine about here, Jack. Uh, Florida State fans, you know, whether you came to the school or, you know, you, you, you grew up, uh, leading Garnet and Gold. Um, the inside of my house was actually Garnet and Gold, it wasn't even meant to be that way, it just kind of happened. Um, but Florida State fans have been so, 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 so spoiled when it comes to coaches over the past 50, 45 years. Uh, in football, obviously, you have Bowden, um, in the 70s, it goes all the way up to 2009, and then you have Jimbo Fisher for seven years and wins a national championship, uh, you know, 14 seasons um, in the top five or top four, whatever it was, and something that I think Alabama may have done or they're, they're getting close to it. I don't know um, how that ended up or if they ended up getting there. Uh, and then in baseball, you have, you have, you have 11, um, you know, he doesn't get it done in the World Series, but you know, he's there for whatever, 40-something years. Uh, it's something, you know, in the past, and I'm going to include Jimbo Fisher because he was, you know, a coach in waiting. Um, These past five, six years are not years. They're not feelings that Florida state fans are accustomed to. And it's, it's weird to watch them react in comparison to other schools that are scrambling every four or five years and, and watching ten years of coaches uh, go up and down, we'll see who Florida State picks. I I, I think that Link Jarrett is a uh, very solid choice. Um, you know, it's not like football where you know you have millions of of candidates immediately being looked at. Uh, it seems like this guy's kind of already the front runner on every news article you see. He's the first name that pops up. So. Who knows? Who knows who they go with, but
0: I wonder if what set the alarm bells off, maybe for for athletic director Michael Alford, and what signaled for him after just two full seasons for Junior that it was time for a change. That despite Junior being an assistant coach regarded as one of the top assistants in the country for 22 years under his dad and and all that stuff, this was not the Florida State team that that we knew under Senior. Um, basically every metric you look at, if you want to equate, you know, anything on the baseball diamond to coaching FSU failed miserably at Jack mentioned the records on the road. They had no ability to bring energy and effort on the road, particularly in big spots where they desperately needed wins. Uh, Their defense was tremendously sloppy. They had four errors and that twenty-one to seven game against Auburn, it seemed like down the stretch, every every weekend series had seemed like eight errors, and that's that's going to kill you. They struck out way too much. Their 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 approach at the plate has, has been criticized ever really since Junior took over. So I think you uh, you look at all those things, and you didn't crack forty wins. You didn't get all that close. And I, I think with all those things considered, um, while the uh, it's, the grass may not always be greener on the other side, I think you might as well but just try and give yourself a chance at maybe a different approach.
2: I was just going to bring up, you know, this poses an interesting question as to, you know, there's still meat is out, but his son, Tyler is still on the roster, you know, that poses, what is he going to do? I don't think inevitably that he will, you know, enter the transfer portal, but I think that is a big possibility, you know, you're, I mean, it's, can't be that great of a feeling playing for a team that, you know, just fired your dad as a head coach, you know, so he's probably in a tough situation as well to think about. And you, I mean, no, a majority of the team, you know, I'm sure they're all considering their options, you know, um, depending on who Florida state brings in, they might enter the transfer portal as well. We've already seen Ross Dunn enter the transfer portal, which was a huge loss for Florida state. Um, so. That's, that's just what I have.
1: Yeah. And also we see, um, you know, there was rumors about um, Tommy Tanks possibly coming to Florida State. You know, what effect is this new coaching uh, news? How does that affect his possibility of, of transferring to Florida State? Uh, so, I mean, there, there's so many dominoes that we have yet to uh, see fall down
3: so um and you you hope that they keep some of the young pieces around um you know like Tyler Martin but also like Jaime Ferrer and James Tibbs who have really come out in a a less than ideal season they've been the ones who stand out and by you know you would have thought if uh meat was still there that they were gonna be ones that they would try to um galvanize around and try to build something with so if they can retain that young core and, um, and maybe keep most of that team together, we can see what happens under a new direction with somebody else. But, uh, that that young core was probably one of the shining spots of the season. And I think that's something if they can retain that, or maybe add on to it, that's something that could maybe push FSU over 40 wins or just get them back to, um, levels where the fan base is feeling a little bit more decent than they did prior.
0: It makes for a really interesting offseason. Not only, I mean, the the head coaching search is going to be significant. It's the first time in, in almost 45 years, it's someone other than a man named Mike Martin being the coach, but um, you guys brought up some of the names. I think Tyler Martin could even go into the draft. I don't know if that's something that he wants to do, but I think there's a pretty good chance between the draft and the transfer that he won't be on your team next year. And he was a guy that had an on base percentage that was at the top of the country. Um, you're going to have your ace Parker Messick. I mean, he's going to be a, a first round pick one would think Bryce Hubbard is eligible as well. I don't think he's really decided one way or another yet. Uh, Logan Lacey, Reese Albert, Alex Terrell, Jonas Galero, Brock Mathis. Those are all seniors that are, that are out of uh, college eligibility and will be moving on. So a lot of names that, that people have been familiar with with for a long time are going to be gone. And not only the coaching staff, but the the, the roster is going to look different And speaking of the coaching staff, it's going to be interesting to see how many of those, if any, uh, are retained. Jimmy Bellinger, the the pitching coach, he's been able to uh, have a lot of big names come in. Some have really panned out, like Parker Messick and others, like maybe a Carson Montgomery, have not been kind of what you were expecting when he came into town. Mike Metcalf, the recruiting uh, coordinator, he's done a tremendous job and i think um even before the, the junior news they were in the running for a lot of guys uh jackson just brought up tommy tanks white from nc state the top transfer in the country that they were going to maybe be able to get down here so he's a guy that has given you a lot of good stuff and then chip baker director of baseball ops has been here forever so when you go if they do end up going outside of the family it'll be interesting to see uh not just the players but the coaches that leave because like i said uh, a lot of turnover. This team is going to look a lot different and it's, it's an uncertain future for sure.
1: But Chip, big shooter, you know, he's, he's uh, got that opportunity with ACC network and, you know, Arya Masuda. So Masoudi, so, you know, he's got that, he's got that backup plan for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that was Arya uh, Masoudi who does the, uh, the Sunday Golds podcast with Brett Nevitt. He was kind of talking on the their show that they released, I think today that got to keep Chip Baker around, no matter what, he's just integral, but um even those guys that are lovable and and a guy like Baker that everyone around campus, like this guy has to say, you bring in a new coach is not familiar. He may want his own director of ops. And and that may be one of those things that, that goes by the wayside, but we'll just have to wait and see. This will certainly be a story that, We will continue to track as the summer goes on. I know Brett Rutherford and and some of his his, uh, colleagues will be on on the show next week, and and, uh, they'll track those developments. But uh, that will do it for this half of Tomahawk Talk. And half number two, we'll have some LIV golf. Also some NBA finals discussions as well. You have been listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk. This is William Haynes. We have Jackson Bakich, Amanda Golson, our producer, Jack Oliaro. Uh, for the second half of the show, we're going to start it off with some golf. Don't talk a ton of golf. And no, it's not uh, Masters, PGA Tour, anything like that. We have a new golf league that has really taken a sports world By storm, the LIV, the LIV league, whatever you want to call it. And uh, Jackson, I know, who's a big golf enthusiast, is is quite knowledgeable about this topic. So I'll hand it off to him uh, to take the reins.
1: Yeah, so uh, thank you for this responsibility, William. Um, It's an honor. Uh, (laughs) But possibly the most interesting thing. Well, it's not the most interesting, but I found it interesting. LIV stands for the Roman numeral 54 references the amount of holes that they play in a given tournament so most pga tour events are 72 holes uh it's usually a four-day tournament but the liv tour is 54 holes and is only three rounds however australian golfing legend greg norman um, so you know just we're all on the same page here it's the same investment group responsible for the purchase of newcastle united chair uh, crown prince of saudi arabia Mohammed bin salman Um, this is from an article by Stephen Allen, uh, from the sportsman. And so an interesting part of this entire debacle, kerfuffle, whatever you want to call it. I don't have my thesaurus on me. It seems like, you know, in in high school or wherever you are, it always seems like there's this instigator, that guy that's like, Oh, you know, you're going to let them call you that, that kind of guy that's always trying to start fights. It kind of feels like author Alan Shipnick, um, who has written and kind of reported about this whole entire thing. He's, he's writing a book about Phil Mickelson, who's been an, an integral part of this uh, whole debacle kerfuffle between the PGA tour and the LIV tour. But basically Phil Mickelson, a few, uh, a few months ago said that the live tour was nothing more, or excuse me, he called the Saudi Arabians nothing more than you know, a, a brutally repressive regime. He called them scary MFers. It, it was just a whole entire thing. And I could go on about the entire timeline. But what we do know is this Saudi backed tour, which has millions and millions and millions of dollars, you know, I don't have their exact tax sheet, but, you know, a lot of it comes from oil. There, there's a lot of money behind it. And we're talking about, you know, you think about Texas oil money, they laugh at Texas oil money. But this new tour is, is attempting to compete with the PGA Tour, and they're throwing out you know hundreds of millions of dollars in appearance fees to the likes of Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson. Bryson DeChambeau was just recently named. People like Ricky Fowler and Patrick Reed have been linked to it as well. But you know I could go through this whole entire timeline, but there are two main points, and there are two main uh, arguments that kind of have spawned from this league. Number one is if golfers are independent contractors, which the PGA tour has said that they are, and the PGA tours also uh, said that they will never charge appearance fees to, you know, to keep the integrity of the game. How much can, if, if PGA tour players are independent contractors, are they allowed to, to completely ban players from their events uh, just because they go play another tour uh, that they don't necessarily like, you know, are, are, players employees of the tour? Are they not employees of the tour? Uh, Is it fair that, you know, if they don't make the cut, they don't earn a dime? But then also there's the moral debacle of, you know, the Saudi Arabians, you know, they, they, it is proven that they killed an American journalist years prior. So there's this moral argument of, am I taking this dirty money to compete in an event that is gonna provide me generational wealth for my family? And it, it's, it's a hard choice. If you're throwing a hundred million, there's a hundred million dollars thrown in your face to, you know, come play 54 holes and not even have to win, not even have to place in the top 10 in the top 20 in the top 30. Uh, it's a hard choice for these players to make. I would be com- conflicted. I would hope that, you know, I, I will never be pros with this decision, but you know, I would like to think I wouldn't accept it, but who knows? I mean, that, You know, would it be immoral for me to uh, not have that security for my family for, you know, five, six generations to come? So there's a real, real – it's a very gray area for these players to, you know, try and reconcile. And then the third thing is – I said two, but it's really more like three. uh, Some players are trying to use – and Phil Mickelson, he had to apologize for it – have come out and said that these tour players are attempting to use this league to gain leverage in changing how the PGA tour operates. And it's just become this whole entire thing. It's kind of blown up in the face of the PGA tour and there's not really anything they can do about it. So uh, I don't know. It, it, someone, I remember somebody said, I, I don't remember the exact name said that this league is equivalent to you know ISIS starting a league Uh, It's not my words, but, um, and maybe that's not the exact uh, way that it is. But when you look at it that way, it's like, how, how could someone play for this league? But you see the money in front of them and it's, it's, it's a tough choice.
3: It is a a tough choice. Um, You know, in in simple terms, it's like you said, generational wealth or, you know, potentially looking into the uh, motives of, the group who is uh, funding this um but outside of the money just looking at this it's it's one of the few gray areas we now find ourselves in sports where sports are at crossroads golf is obviously at this with this but uh the co- college football in its own way is in a gray area at the moment where um we don't know what what uh, qualifies as paying uh, players or what along the lines of like what is legal what is not legal and that's that whole recruiting thing we've we've tried to get on top of in 30 minutes and that's just not possible so there's that, but there's also this story where it's you know they are professionals and they are technically finding out stuff and but and like a recruit though when you just throw around money when you're promised you know instead of a hundred million dollars you're promised maybe a car dealership with x amount of money and you're able to trade in cars like I know some recruits have been promised it's hard to avoid that and have that not be a part of your decision making and and lives a Lives a weird tour because they're they're funded for a while. Not like these other startup leagues like uh, you know the XFL or the uh, USFL, where they're not there's not a huge backing behind them uh, as much as this. This is a huge backing. They are guaranteed for at least two or three years. There's enough funding for there to be you know, happen. And um, while I don't know if this is an experiment um, to maybe force action on the PGA Tour, uh, it's certainly going to put you know. Golf and the whole golf and its toes because if you spend any time watching the golf channel or if you've turned if you're going to turn on cbs uh while golf's on it's it's probably made the topic and part of it's can the pga tour can get more can they get more money can they promise things um to their players so they don't branch off and make this other league it's a really weird it's a weird time where you just don't know how it's going to go lit could live really take off and that is like a straight up rival to the pga tour i haven't watched much of the london thing that's going on this weekend, but I I've heard, uh, I've been watching the Canadian open and that's obviously the topic at hand. Um, it's hard to get away from that. I can't watch Rory McIlroy play because all I can hear about when I'm told is stuff about what's happening in Saudi Arabia. So is this just a temporary, uh, fight back or is this just something that is going to have lasting impacts? And it is the future of golf because I think that 54 whole thing and the no cuts is something that hopefully forces action from PGA tour. But at the same time, why does the PGA Tour have to be the ultimatum of golf? Why does it have to be them and not someone else? And I think that's probably the argument that Greg Norman would probably say. And this guy's king of controversy anyway. Like anything he says uh, is there to create headlines. And he has done some backtracking. And he's done – he said some things that he may or may not regret later. But it's hard – it's weird to see the tradition of golf challenged, a sport that is steeped in so much tradition, be challenged in such a way uh, where you really don't know what's going to happen by next weekend or the weekends afterward. So.
0: It seems like we're, we're kind of living in the age of now, the, the startup sports leagues, you see the, the AAF, the XFL, the USFL. I mean, even the big three with ice cube, uh, the, the basketball, all these things. And now you have the, the live golf tour, but as you mentioned, Jack, what sets live apart from any of these other startup leagues. I mean, even to an extent, the original, uh, USFL with Chad Herschel Walker and, and all those guys is they're dishing out hundreds of millions of dollars for legit superstars. Phil Mickelson reportedly $200 million to participate. Dustin Johnson, 150 million. He's the highest ranked golfer that is a part of that uh, 48 players that compete. Uh, and and Tiger Woods who did not join was rumored upwards of a billion dollars in the high uh, nine figures and and just, how much money they have. Um, and you you don't, you don't see that come around very often.
1: And I think the rationale for the, for the players uh, who decide to join is I'm getting at least seven figures upwards to, you know, like you said, eight or nine, depending on who you are. I'm getting a chance to change how the PG tour off PGA tour operates. I'm getting the chance to, to just play, not worrying, about having to make the cut, all these other leagues like the NBA, you know, governments trade with, with China all the time. Um, governments, you know, we buy oil from OPEC. Uh, there are plenty and plenty of business dealings with countries around the world that don't necessarily have the greatest human rights human rights record. Should we condemn them? Absolutely. Are they terrible? Absolutely. Uh, but simply to just say, you know, this is is the only league, this is the only entity that, you know, kind of has nefarious money behind it is just simply being naive. You know, is it something that, you know, if I was a player, could I be able to look past it? I don't know. I honestly don't know.
3: Uh, If you are a fringe player, like, um, who is able to qualify for that, you know, tour and, um that four live and you know you can't make a big enough cut and you, I mean these guys you know some of these guys gamble you know they have golfers are you know they have lavish lifestyles. Sometimes you just need a you need to pay off money and you know this is a simple not a simple quick way of doing things but it's a way to you know start something and um, you know get your maybe get a quick fix in of money but again with the whole suspensions and everything it's a weird territory where a news a story can break out tomorrow where pga you know further solidifies their stance on this or maybe backs off a little bit you don't know because live live is probably gonna be around for two or three years and you just got to see where it goes um if something more uh, like you said nefarious comes up um you know can this golf league stay and it's not so much the quality of it but along with other um factors there
1: and and jay monahan the commissioner of the pga tour he's between a rock and a hard place because if he, if he tells the players of the tour, you know, go ahead, do what you want. They're all, you know, a, a lot of them are probably going to go to the live tour, but um, if he's, you know, if he says what he has said, or excuse me, well, and what he has said is, uh, you know, if, if you go play at the live tour, you will not be able to compete at PGA tournaments, uh, which if I was a commissioner, I would, make that move, but it still comes across as extremely hypocritical because they've said so many times in the past that they are uh, independent contractors. And also the PGA Tour is technically a nonprofit, which is mind boggling. I don't know how that works exactly, but uh, there are just so many legalities. There are so many statutes that I'm sure that uh, would take a lawyer brain to uh, really divulge into this league has really if you looked up gray area in the dictionary if you looked up you know moral dilemma in the dictionary the live golf tour would come up
0: that's well said it is a a very multifaceted issue and I'm kind of with Jack is it one of those that we see for two or three years and kind of flame out in tremendous fashion or will it stick around and be a legitimate competitor to the PGA we'll just have to wait and see some quick hits on the live golf before we head on uh, to the next topic, uh, 48 players are competing. They're drafted to, to teams made up of four players. Uh, there's three rounds in, in any any particular week in the, the 54 holes that Jackson mentioned where the LIV name comes from. Uh, there are eight events this year, 10 next year worldwide. The first one was in London. I think the next one is in Oregon, Boston, Bangkok, and Thailand, um, all over the world. And as of right now, at least in the United States, there's there's no TV contract, which in, in sports we talk about is the biggest moneymaker. They're just streaming on their website, on social media. So um, that I imagine a lot of this, their money is coming out of their pockets because it doesn't appear, however you, you look at it, that there's a ton of profits being made, at least initially. So if they're just trying to bleed out the PGA, that's we'll have to see. But moving on to the NBA Finals, as of Saturday night, when we're talking right now, we are four games in. The series is tied two games apiece. Last time we spoke, the Boston Celtics with a, an upset uh, in Golden State in game one. Uh, then the Warriors had a blowout in game two. And and now the, these two teams just traded a couple of a blowout wins in Boston. So now Golden State reclaims home court advantage and heads uh, back to uh, uh, San Francisco for game five and a chance to to give themselves a lead. So, guys, it's been another week. What have you made of this series?
1: I've thoroughly enjoyed it just as a sports fan. Uh, it's been extremely entertaining basketball. It's, it's what you want to see. It is two teams, um, kind of a very talented all-around. Uh, y'all know how high I've been on the Celtics. Uh, you know, an, an all-around great defensive team. It's really coming onto the scenes these past couple of years, and then you have a a staple in NBA basketball for the last eight years in the in the Golden State Warriors, uh, just trading blows. It, it honestly it feels like you know one of these all one of those Ali Frazier fights back in the day. It, it just or you know it for those that have seen Rocky, it's you know, it's it feels like fifteen rounds. I I think this series will go seven. Uh, I do have the Celtics winning in seven they have been stupendous on the road this postseason especially against the heat uh, which we all know has the best culture in the world according to all heat fans Uh, so (laughs) uh, I I got Celtics in seven
0: I and uh, who do y'all have My prediction as of uh, a few days ago, I think it was maybe before game three, I was thinking probably Warriors in six. I thought the game one was was kind of a fluke. I didn't expect Draymond to just kind of slog through the whole series. How that maybe he'd turn around. It appears at this point he's not and is what it is. But I just think the Warriors are really hard to keep up with. And the fact that Boston gave away a game at home was something they couldn't afford to do.
3: I still think the Boston, or sorry, the series is in favor of Boston. Um, like we were mentioned, we've mentioned and praised about their defense before, but they also have an offense that can, um, you know, even kind of upset the likes of Draymond with on the defensive side of things. They can get it done on the three, as we've seen, they blew up against Milwaukee quite a bit and they can get it done from the three. I mean, game one had the most three-pointers ever from both sides, 43 point makes, that was the most ever in a, in a game in the finals. So these teams can shoot it from three I trust Boston a little bit more in the paint. Um, I like their defenders a little bit more. I also like, uh, you know, that they have a you know bunch of different monsters who can go at you off the bench. I like their bench a little bit more with Robert Williams, um, you know, guys like that, Grant Williams and Derek White, who've been able to just you know come out of nowhere and make huge surprises. As for Golden State, it's more along the lines of Steph is just playing out of his mind, uh, putting up I believe forty something points. He became uh, you know the Sports Center stat today was forty points. Uh, 10 rebound game. Uh, first 34 plus year old guy to do that since LeBron and Michael. So that's good company to be in. And um, yeah, it's just, I still think it's in favor of Boston. And I, I want to say it's either six and seven, I think game, the winner of game five. And I think, yeah, this coming game will be the uh, test. Cause if Boston can get it done in San Francisco, there's no doubt in my mind that they can get it done at home in Boston in front of everybody in game six that crowd has been an issue for Draymond and for that entire Warriors team. And I think if they can get it done um, in game five on Monday, this series could be over after six and the Warriors, or I'm sorry, and the Celtics will reclaim uh, the most league titles in the NBA.
2: Yeah, I think at the beginning of the series, I i think I said Warriors in seven. Um, My opinion changes every game, you know, that's sports, that's basketballs. When you have two elite teams like this, you know, competing at this level, it is, it's hard to say, you know, Um, I'm honestly, I think my opinions are changing a little bit and I'm leaning more towards the Celtics bandwagon. Um, I think I'm going to hop on that and, but I do think it will go to seven. Um, I agree with you, Jack, though. I think whoever takes game five, that's going to. You know, I think that's going to be a huge factor in it. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna go both um, Celtics in Game Seven.
0: These teams have been been trading blowouts. None of the the four games to this point have been decided by uh, less than double digits. I think the 12 point margin in Game One was the closest. Um, of the series, uh, you, you mentioned the Celtics defense. One thing that was interesting to me, you go at the two games that the Celtics have lost Marcus smart, the defensive player of the year. He has had a, a horrible, horrible plus minus minus in their losses, like minus 15 minus 20 um, when you go and look at them. So that's something to me is like, maybe not a good sign if golden state is figuring out how to get their attack going against what we thought after game one was a, a defense that we spent a lot of time praising and uh, another thing that's really stood out to me in this series and something I, I kind of want to hear what you guys have to say is Draymond Green. I mean, more personal fouls than points in this series. It seems like, I mean, even Dave Portnoy was sitting courtside at at uh, game Four, chirping at Draymond. So um, the Warriors are, are rolling. I think offensively, they've been averaging 15 three-pointers a game at both sides really have, but um they're talking about podcast Draymond now is, is his kind of alter ego. That, that is uh, the detractor for them. So um, are they just, just going to have to
3: figure out how to do it without him or or what's going on there? They do need to figure out that side of the ball and specifically Draymond. Um, I think uh, game five is a huge opportunity for him to, you know, get away from the noise in Boston, get himself together, get himself all get together and try to put together a good defensive game and uh, finally break that, you know, offensive duck that he's been making where he can't even make simple layups at this point. Uh, not that he's riding on the series per se, but he certainly is one of the most important players along with maybe him and Marcus Smart the most important guys going into this, uh, final stretch here. But, um, the Warriors, um, if Clay, you need, you need Draymond Green, but they also need guys like Clay Thompson, who kind of found his stride in the, in some of the games. And this game is going to go six. So you're thinking the Warriors might, I said earlier, Celtics in six, but they will certainly get a challenge because it will be there will be a a Clay Thompson game six, no matter what. So you already know that it's going to be challenging. And if Golden State could win game five, that's already, you're already guaranteed a huge game from him. And Steph Curry is going to, you're guaranteed at least 30 out of him shooting everything from three. So if they can get it together on defensive side, they can also um, trip together and get it done.
0: So what do you guys think in Steph Curry for MVP by the time this series is done?
2: I think that game yeah. solidified MVP for him. I mean, he's uh he had 43 points in 41 minutes last night, which is kind of crazy. He's been the leading scorer of the first 4 games of the series. Like, I mean, he is that dude, you know. I there's not much else to say. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. Um he is, you know, huge factor in Golden State's success and we'll see even if I feel like even if they don't win I think Curry still has MVP in the bag
1: and that's the one thing that's been missing from his resume is a finals MVP so you know he's been hungry for it you know he's been uh, really focusing on it and my I, I still think no matter what he is the greatest shooter of all time I think everybody agrees with that I don't even know why we bring it up as a factoid anymore because um, I think it's been settled and it will be settled for a long t- time. But uh, the one knock that I've always had on him is I don't necessarily think of him as clutch. Uh, but last night proved me wrong. I mean, he was hitting shot after shot when the Warriors needed it most. So uh, should the Warriors win, um, it definitely be definitely Steph Curry as the MVP.
0: Year after year, Steph continues to solidify his legacy. If he captures this one and maybe gets the finals MVP, he'll be... One of, I think, four or five with however many league MVPs and and finals MVPs he has. So we're closing it out. Jack is playing us out with some music. Another great week of Tomahawk Talk. I am William Haynes for Jackson Bakage, for Amanda Golson, for Jack Oliaro. It will be Brett Rutherford and friends next week on the Monday following Father's Day. So make sure to listen to that one live and as a podcast afterwards. You have been listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.